guys, as we continue as we continue along in the book of Acts this morning, our message is called Making Adjustments. And when you think about making adjustments, I'm curious what it is that, that you think of. Maybe you think about getting a, a dress or a suit adjusted and tailored, right? Uh, maybe when you think about making adjustments, you think about going to the chiropractor. Maybe you think about uh, trimming the budget, taking your personal budget and, and cutting back on expenses and spending a little bit. Um, Somebody told me when I think about making adjustments, I should think about adjusting my food and, and what I eat. But that's not actually where my mind goes immediately. When I think about making adjustments, what do you think I think about? Football. Yeah, football. I think about football and the idea of making adjustments as you move in the game plan. I think about football and I think about things like halftime. Now, as I talk about football, let me be really, really clear about who I am and who I am not. My personal football playing career was very, very brief. In middle school, I, was, I played left out on the CT, okay? Like it, was, it was that brief and that insignificant. However, I'm a longtime football fan, right? So when I think about making adjustments, I'm coming at this from the position of a fan, not from the position of a coach or a player. So I don't know if it's actually a legend or if this is in reality how things really truly shake out in football, but I know halftime adjustments are a big, big deal, right? We talk about them, we think about them, we want coaches who can execute them. We want halftime adjustments. And when you think about that, if you're not a football person, let me tell you basically what we're talking about with halftime adjustments. It's this idea that, that take a break in the middle of the game, and during this break, you get an opportunity to, to tweak, to adjust, to react, and to respond differently to what the other team is doing right? You're reading them, they're reading you, you're seeing what they're doing on both sides of the ball, and it's this break in the middle where you get a chance to make these adjustments. And as I think about that, I think, man, how awesome would that be in life if we could have half times, right? Rough day at the house, rough day at the office, rough day in the classroom. Just take a time out. Let's take 20. I'm going to sit over here. I'm going to tweak. I'm going to adjust. I'm going to uh, recalibrate, replan, re-strategize. That would be awesome if we could have those halftime kinds of breaks in everyday life and go, man, I'm going to go back out there and I'm going to turn this loss into a win. Wouldn't that be good? Right? Wouldn't that be good at home, at work, and at school? So as we take on these next verses in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 6, we're going to see that early church that Steve was just talking about a few moments ago. When we say early church, understand this, that what we have in the book of Acts is that Jesus has come, he has, he has, he has called his disciples, he has died on the cross, he has resurrected from the dead, he has ascended back into heaven, and then he makes these disciples the apostles. And he says, take this and start this movement called the church. And when we say the early church, like in the book of Acts, we have the origins of the church. That's what the early church is, and we're going to see the early church facing real problems. Now, as we've already seen, and as we will see even more so continuing in Acts, there's a lot of external problems coming in on the church. That's what we call persecution. This is the community around them, oppressing them, opposing them. But the problem that they're facing in Acts 6 today is an internal problem. And the early church is so beautiful in so many ways as we see these origins of the church, but you got to understand this, the church then and the church now, no different. It's always been this family of flawed and sinful people. Like that's literally who we are. We're the flawed and sinful ones that have come to the end of ourselves, knowing that we desperately need Jesus. And that's what gathers us together. And so anytime you bring together a family of flawed and sinful people, there's going to be tensions, problems, and conflicts. And there is an internal problem in the church in Acts 6. And as a response to the problem, 
Man, they need to make some wise adjustments. They need to see this problem and turn this problem into an opportunity. And I hope that the lessons that we learn as we look into the early church this morning become life lessons for us. Like these lessons would shape the way we think about our church today. We think about the way we think about our family, the way that we think about our work and our school lives, our everyday lives. So turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6 and let's look at the church and this problem. Acts chapter 6. Acts is in the New Testament. If you need help finding it, man, just go to the table of contents. Go to Acts and then chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put the words up on the screen. You can follow along as I teach. Also, go to the Welcome Center in the foyer after the service this morning and let us give you a free copy of the Bible for you to take home and study for yourself. Acts chapter 6, we're going to begin with verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, there are several details in verse 1 that I want to make sure that we touch on because they give us some framework of understanding of what's going on here. But first and foremost, what I want us to do with verse 1 is to understand and identify what this problem, this internal problem is that the church is facing. And as you understand it, man, understand this, it is the best kind of problem. The words used to describe it here say this, that the number of disciples is increasing, aka the church is growing, the movement of Christ is taking root, it is being established, the gospel is going out, more and more and more people are coming to faith in Christ and joining in the family of the church, and the church is growing, and guys, that's a problem that should be celebrated, that should always be celebrated, more Jesus followers, more changed lives, more people rescued, more people redeemed is always, always, always a good thing. Worthy of celebration. And, and may that mindset always be true of this church. May we always celebrate when God has entrusted more people to us to disciple, more adults, more students, more children, more preschoolers. May we always have this mindset that new people coming into the kingdom of God, more lives being changed is always an awesome problem to have. That God would allow us not just to disciple more people through the ministry of this church, but as more people come, that we would have the problem, have the opportunity to plant more churches, both far, but also very, very near. As populations increase and change and more people come to Christ, let's send out more people and more planters and create more churches. Always something worthy of celebration. But you have to understand this. Even the best kinds of problems come with real challenges. Even things that are worthy of celebration can still be challenging, and that's what's happening in Acts chapter 6. What's happening is that the Greek-speaking church members are complaining against the Hebrew-speaking church members. The Greek-speaking church members are complaining against the Hebrew-speaking church members. Why? Because their widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And y'all, that is actually indeed a very real problem. Maybe you come here this morning with problems of your own, and when you think about them and you hear that, you go, that's a weird problem. That's a different problem. That's very different than my problem. It may be, but understand this, it was a problem. Because this problem between the Hebrew-speaking and the Greek-speaking church members was a threat to the unity of the church. And when it comes to the church, man, unity 
is so critical. When it comes to this church, unity is so critical that we continually posture ourselves as a people that would say, man, it is Jesus over everything and everything that could possibly divide us will be absolutely secondary at best to this reality that Jesus unites us. And it's a threat to the unity of the church. You've got this this moment that could encourage tribalism that could fracture the church into different parts. You've got this moment of cultural tension where there are these, these odds and differences that are coming from different ways of lives, different, different language groups, different ethnic groups that could create a problem for the church and its unity. But it's not just a problem because of that. This is also a problem because this very problem that the early church is facing, man, it undermines the heart of God because our God has a heart for people and especially the most vulnerable people. God's heart is so tender for the most vulnerable people around the world and widows are some of those vulnerable people. So when widows are being overlooked, this is a real problem for the church to solve. And so it's not just about unity. It's not just about honoring God's heart. It's also about the church honoring its God-given purpose of being this this outlet of ministry and meeting needs and loving well, realize this, that we will never be effective at winning the world to Christ if we are not first effective at loving each other radically well. That's scripture. Jesus tells us that. They will know we are his disciples by the way we love one another. And that's at risk here. Like, why would the world want to get in on this movement of Jesus if it's nothing but fighting? There's a lot at risk, and there is a problem to solve. There are adjustments to be made. And what you will see this morning is that the apostles, they do just that. They absolutely do that. And so that's our first lesson. That's the lesson for us in this, is that we begin to see real problems as real opportunities. Real problems as moments that are filled with real possibility. This is a space for our God to show up. We don't tell God just how big our problems are. We tell problems how big our God is, right? And it's in that space that we reframe. That's the the phrase that I want you to learn and to use. We reframe and we look at this problem as an opportunity for God to show up, to use us, to move in us, and to move through us. And y'all, I see this all the time. I see this in my home. I'm sure you do too. I see this in my marriage. There are so many different things that could come in as a problem and pull me and Ashley apart. But we're not going to do that. We're going to let these problems become opportunities for the oneness that God intends for us to have. And we're going to pull together as one unit, pulling against that problem, moving on the same page in the same direction as a team, time over time over time as a team. And let's be honest, there's nothing like parenting that could pull you apart in marriage, right? Those little boogers aren't going to pull us apart. Right? We're going to pull together, and we're going to be a team for them and a team against them, and we're going to be a team that moves for their good, right? It's not just true in marriage. You can take this same principle, and you can put it into your work team. Listen, this is an opportunity on my work team every week of the year. There's problems. We've got real problems. This is an opportunity for us to pull together as a team and pull in the same direction for the same thing. Every problem can be reframed as an opportunity, but that's a mindset. That's a mindset to look at it as a space for God to show up instead of dividing you, to unite you. And the problem in Acts chapter 6, man, it could have pulled the church apart. But instead, we see it draw them together. And it's an opportunity for growth. You'll see this so clearly. Look at verse 2. So the 12, that's the apostles, the leaders of the church, the ones that Jesus had called. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. 
You gotta understand, the apostles are not being rude, they're not being arrogant, this is not a prideful statement. This is just clear and helpful. When they say it would not be right for us to neglect our highest and best God-given ministry in order to do this other thing that would distract us from the very thing that God wants from us, they are being helpful in creating a healthy church. And so here's what we learned, the second lesson from the apostles' game plan here. This is lesson number two. It's set clear biblical priorities. Clear biblical priorities are serving the church so well in this moment. They will not let this problem pull them off of their God-given highest and best, the ministry of the teaching and preaching of the word of God. But instead, what happens is clear biblical priorities, they begin to give direction to the church and they become a filter in decision-making for the church. And the same idea can be just as effective in our church. Clear biblical priorities can help us with decision-making and with direction. And the same can be true for your family, for your home, for your workplace where you serve as an employer or as an employee. Clear biblical priorities can give direction and help filter decision-making. And so my question for you this morning is this, like, do you know your priorities? Do you even have clear priorities in your life? And if you do have clear priorities, are they aligned with God's authoritative priorities for you? Recognize this, right? God is the shot caller. He's the one that is the boss over our lives. He has the authority to set our priorities. So what's happening as we make these adjustments is we are adjusting our own priorities, our own will to line up with God's will with God's priorities for our life. So when you think about clear biblical priorities, understand this, that the adjustment is adjusting me and my heart to God and his heart. That's true for this church, that's true for your family, and that's true for your everyday life. And maybe you hear that and you go, man, there's some adjustments to make there. I mean, treat this as a halftime, tweak, re-strategize, replan, commit your ways to the Lord. Make those adjustments and start today. The apostles did. The apostles look at this problem and they see it as an opportunity and they go after solving it. Pick back up in verse three and you will see the solution. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And when you see this and what you see, there's some qualifications here, right? They are looking for a specific kind of people, people who are full of the spirit of God and full of godly wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them. Go back to what we had already talked about. We're going to continue to do what God called us to do in the ministry of the teaching and preaching of the word, but we will raise up these seven, these seven who are full of the spirit and full of wisdom, and we will give this responsibility to them. We will empower them and entrust them with this, and we will continue to give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. And in these verses, y'all, I see a miracle of God. Do you see it? It pleased the whole group. That's a miracle. You don't have to lead anything larger than a family to realize pleasing the whole group is nothing short of a God-sized goal. And so when it says, man, everybody was happy with this plan, I'm like, what a day, what a deal. Come on, God, let's do that. Pleasing the whole group is never, ever easy. But all kidding aside, there is an awesome leadership and life lesson for us here. Look at what the apostles did and understand that we need to share the load and empower others. Man, whatever problem it is that you're facing, whatever problem that it is that you bring in with you, whatever problem it is that you have been fighting all week long, and it's heavy on your heart as we engage in worship this morning, listen to me. You need to share the load. You need to stop looking at this problem 
As if you are God and you are the God over this problem, you need to understand and acknowledge your own limitations. When you look at your situation, recognize that you are too limited to fix this on your own. And sometimes we need to share the load. We need to empower others to come alongside us to help us to walk with us and to walk through this together. And y'all, that is especially true in the church. That's the way God designed this thing. That's the way God built it. That's the way it is to be grown and developed is in such a way where we help each other, where the community of believers comes together and we solve these problems with the Lord's help in unity as a family. There's an important note that I want to make here. Because what you see in Acts 6, man, it's this beautiful picture of the church for our church. There's a lesson for us to learn as a church together. And it's this, that the church only works in this way where there's this empowering of, a other, empowering of others and sharing of the load. It only works when others will step up and accept the responsibility. Do you hear me? Right? That's the only way it works, this idea of empowering others. Man, it's this two-way street. And the truth is, we are not building a biblically healthy church if the staff team executes all of the work of ministry. That's not faithful to what the scriptures say. We are not building a healthy church if we have this mindset where we've got these paid pastors. That's their job. That's not what the scripture calls for. What the scripture calls for is for us to have this job where we empower the people around us to share in their own personal ministry and together we execute the ministry of the church in unity. That's what a healthy church looks like. But for that to work, people have to step up and say, put some responsibility on me. And guys, as I think about that, Man, I want you to know that I hope and pray that God would take this healthy church that we have and make it even healthier. It is healthy. There are so many of you that share the work of ministry. There are so many of you that have found and developed your own personal ministry. There are so many of you that are making disciples, serving, loving, giving, going. And I just want us to be even healthier, that God would raise up even more people, inspire even more hearts, call more people into the game, engage more people in the discipleship formation of experiencing ministry and serving. That's why one-fourth of our disciple-making strategy is volunteer ministry, because for your own good and formation, you need to shoulder some of the work of ministry. We want that for you. God wants to do that in you, and that's what it looks like for us to make an even healthier church that loves and serves our community and our king. That is the goal. And you have to understand this. Church is this reciprocal relationship. It's built this way by God for a purpose that at church, in church, man, you should serve, but you should also be served. You should love, but you should also be loved. You should give, but you should also receive. You should benefit from the gifts of other people, but other people should also benefit from your gifts. It's not healthy to do it either way, right? It's not healthy for you to come to this space and to this place and only always give. That's not good. It's also not healthy for you to come to this place, to this space, and always only get. It's this reciprocal relationship where we serve and we are served. We love and we are loved. And I'm just gonna be really honest with you. There's some of you that really frustrate me. Like some of the most frustrating people in this room are the people that you give and give and give and give and when it's your turn to get, you put up a wall and you won't receive. Drives me crazy. 
And let me tell you, I can speak to this with moral authority because I will give my guts out, but I will also receive my guts out. (laughs) It's a two-way street, y'all, and it's supposed to be. And it's so frustrating to those of you that give so much of yourself to this. The man, when it's your space and it's your time, you won't just open humbly receive. Maybe that's an adjustment you need to make. But I will say also that the ones of you that come and you do nothing, you frustrate me too. I love you. But the ones that just come and sit, man, you got to understand that's just as frustrating. It's this reciprocal relationship, and that's the way that God made for it to work. And maybe you see that and hear that and you go, I got some adjustments to make. I need to adjust this way. I need to adjust that way. What is the adjustment? The church in Acts 6 adjusted. Look back. Verse 5. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Guys, there's so much more I want to say about Stephen. Absolutely inspiring person in the scriptures. We're going to get to Stephen. In fact, when we pick back up the book of Acts in 2024, we're going to pick up with Stephen and his story and his experience. We're going to take a little bit of a break as we wrap up the year. We're going to do a a mini-series for Christmas called Joy to the World. starts next weekend, but we will come back to Acts 6 and to the story of Stephen in 2024. For now, understand this. They chose Stephen. Also, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, and Pumbaa. It's not Pumbaa. I think it's Parmesan. I don't know. So like Parmenius. Okay, Timon and Parmenius. And Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. That may sound really, really weird and foreign to you. Let me do a little bit of a rabbit trail on that. What's happening in this moment is the church identifies these leaders. The apostles accept them. And when you see them praying and laying their hands on them, this is a work of affirmation and blessing. It's the apostles of blessing their leadership and commissioning them into this ministry. The laying on of hands is a powerful Christian tradition. It's an affirmation and it's a blessing. And y'all, we intend to do this very thing with Joseph and Emily Castillo soon as we send them out to start Story Church in Northwest Houston in the community of Bridgeland. We are going to have a time where we bless them, we affirm them, we lay hands on them, we pray for them, and we send them out. As Joseph's leadership in the role of Smoggers pastor comes to an end with the end of this calendar year, and we send him out next year as our church planter, as our missionary to Northwest Houston, we are going to have this time that we call ordination. And in this time of ordination, we will ordain Joseph. We will affirm him, encourage him, lay hands on him, and bless him and his family as we send them out. And I want you to stay tuned. That time of ordination is going to come. We'll tell you when it is, and I want you to mark your calendar, and I want you to come and be a part of it. Don't sit out. Don't miss this. Come. Be a part of that blessing, that affirmation, and experience what it looks like to, to see the laying on of hands. So in Acts 6, what happens is the church chose those seven. The apostles empowered them and commissioned them, and then the necessary adjustments were made. And in this, what happens is the apparent problem truly became an opportunity. What could have divided the church instead was reframed as a potential for God to show up and show out. And instead of it dividing the church, culture against culture, language group against language group, what happens is leaders were raised up, ministry was shared, people were empowered, and good things happened. So many good things happened that the best of things happened. Look at verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. More lives 
rescued and redeemed. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And all of this happened because in Acts 6, this church was committed to keeping the main thing the main thing. And because they wouldn't be distracted or diverted, the mission of God was advanced. The good news of Jesus spread. New disciples came into the family. The kingdom was growing. The church was increasing rapidly. And I see that, and I say this this morning, may what happened then happen now. May what happened there happen here. May we as a church always, always, always be willing to make wise adjustments. May we as a church always be willing to keep the main thing the main thing. And may we always do that for the glory of God, the good of the church and for the cause of Christ. And you see these practical lessons from Acts 6, and you go, man, those are good for a church. Let me tell you, the wisdom of God is also good for you and your everyday life, for your personal life, for your work, your home, your school. And maybe this morning you're feeling the intersection of the two, that the good of the church and your good are are intertwined. And you're recognizing this morning that God wants to use you to answer BPF problems. Like you're the answer to some things we've been praying for. You stepping up and stepping in. You serving and contributing and connecting. You going deeper and moving more into a commitment with this faith family. Maybe you recognize this morning that that actually is very personal for you. But maybe you came in with a problem that you've been fighting all week that really doesn't have a whole lot of anything to do with this church other than the fact that you belong to this church. And because it's important to you, man, it's important to us. And I promise you this, the problems you're facing are important to God. So I want you to reframe. I want you to look at that problem that is so evident to you. I know there are some of you this morning that when I said, think about a problem you're facing, you didn't have to think long. It is so evident to you. Think about that problem and ask yourself in the face of this, man, will I honor God? In the face of this, will I exercise good self-leadership? In the face of this, will I fix my mind on good priorities? Will I focus myself on wise, solid solutions? Will I do everything to protect unity around me in this space? And will I respond as I look at this problem? Will I respond with obedience? Man, I want you to look at the problem and ask yourself this morning, what adjustments do I need to make? Let this be a halftime. Maybe you walked in this morning feeling like you're losing. And with God's help, you're going to go out there. You're going to chase the win. Use this as a halftime. Make the adjustments. Coach Kirby Smart, the coach of the Georgia Bulldogs, man, he's a college football legend in the making. He's chasing his third national championship. When I wrote this earlier in the week, he was in a little bit different spot than he is today. Uh, You want to talk about a problem to solve, the college football committee, playoff committee, man, they got a problem to solve. I do believe Georgia should be in, if you want my opinion. Uh, You probably didn't, but there it is. (laughs) So Kirby Smart was asked about halftime adjustments in an interview, and I want you to hear what this wise coach said. This is how he responded. Me, the staff, and the players, we're not in the locker room just eating oranges during that break. I think that's hilarious. No, adjustments are more important now in football than they've ever been. But it has a whole lot more to do with the players than the coach's adjustments. That's actually pretty wise. It's pretty true in life. And we can learn from the apostles this morning. Yes, man, we make the adjustments. But more importantly, 
Let's be the kind of player that so abides with Christ that we're ready to adjust. Let's be the kind of player that's so ready to continually honor and prioritize and protect and obey our God as he leads our life. Let's be the kind of player that's well positioned to make the king's adjustments. And what I know is this, guys. Man, with God's help, we can't lose. We can't lose. Let me pray for you. Father, this morning, I thank you that your word is so practical and true, so helpful. God, your spirit is a promised helper for our lives, and I just thank you that you have actively helped us today. God, I pray for my friends who are especially struggling with real problems. God, I pray that you would help them to make the adjustments and to abide in such a way that they are so sensitive to your leadership and to your spirit's work in their life. God, I pray that you would embolden them, empower them. God, that you would bring clarity and guidance, that you would be a light to their path and a lamp to their feet, and that your word would serve them in that way. God, I pray also for this church. I thank you that you have given us a healthy church. God, we don't take that for granted. Lord, I pray that you would make it healthier, more functional, more fruitful, even more impactful for the kingdom in our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.